being humble and being open to ideas, always being open to new ideas, uh, having an open mind, uh, and uh, uh, always believing that we can we can make our own future, we can change the world, but always being humble that we are a very small piece in the grand scheme of things, you know, having that duality yeah. is always a good idea. Yeah. Welcome to Pensip Series. At the Hilton Union Square in the heart of San Francisco, during Infosys' annual flagship conference, Confluence, the chief executive talks about his deeply held beliefs and lessons learned through his journey in the world of innovation and how technology can move us forward. Dr. Vishal Sikha is a champion of technology and clearly sees it as an amplifier of human potential. He wants to use software in purposeful ways to address some of the biggest challenges of our times. As CEO of Infosys, he is renewing existing landscapes to fundamentally drive down costs for clients using automation and artificial intelligence, and at the same time bringing breakthrough innovation to help them transform user and consumer experiences, leverage data in entirely new ways, tap into new business opportunities, and create new business models. For example, the Zero Distance Initiative, which focuses on bringing innovation to every project for every client on an ongoing basis, has set a precedent in the industry for driving grassroots innovation. Prior to joining Infosys, he was a member of the executive board of SNP. He is creative of creating SNP's breakthrough in memory data platform, SNP HANA, the fastest growing product in SNP's history. He received his bachelor in computer science from Syracuse and holds a PhD in computer science from Stanford University. Uh, yeah, yeah, that should be fine. Um, okay. Um, well, thank you so much. Uh, this is uh, it's such a great opportunity, and I, uh, uh, you know, thank you so much for doing this. Um, so the first question is, like, tell me, where did you, where did you grow up? Um, well, first of all, I like to think that I still haven't grown up. <laughs> you know, my mom passed away about a year and a half ago, and I used to feel like I was still a kid. My brother and I would fight in front of her and all that. So, but I, I grew up in India. Uh, I was there until I was 19, okay. then I moved to the U.S., so kind of like you, a yeah, little, yeah, little yeah. bit after I did uh, um, uh, part of my undergraduate education in India, then I moved here and then I finished my undergraduate education in the U.S. So when you finished high school, like, how did you think about the future? Um, I used to, I actually ran a computer program, I wrote a computer program to try to help me decide what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> And the options were to be a computer scientist, which my mom always wanted me to be. Okay. I wanted to see, um, be a, an Air Force pilot. I used to take some flying lessons in those days. Mm. And the other option was to be a sports commentator. Wow. <laughs> there was a commentator when I was growing up in India who was kind of a, a hero to me. And uh, I uh, used to... So, <laughs> But yeah, it was computer yeah. science then, <laughs> and since and then it was always computer science. So like, let's say you could give your younger <laughs> self advice, like to that um, 19, 20 year old, like what would, you, what would you tell your younger self? Like from the perspective now, the journey you've been on, all these things that they've been, that they've been doing. Um, to, to enjoy things more, to, um, uh, actually this is, this is interesting, my brother asked me this question uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, if I could go back and um, 
give myself advice, I would say to uh, follow your heart more, to trust your instincts more, um, and to do what just feels right, uh, feel more confident and that it's going to be okay, everything mm -hmm. works out. We all, we tend to take things very, very seriously when we are growing up, you know, even in just in life and uh, I think just slowing things down and, and uh, that is usually the uh, very good idea. Okay, cool. Um, and so you embody innovation in so many ways. Like, what does innovation mean for you? Um, it means a very simple thing. Um, you know, Alan is a great teacher of my life, Alan Kay. Uh, he has this very famous quote that uh, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Mm, I like that a lot. So, you know, I have found... Uh, especially in my Infosys journey, that there are two types of people. And Brian, Brian sort of talked about this today. There are people who look at the world and see it as something that can be shaped, that can be changed. They look at it as a continuously imperfect thing, a permanently imperfect thing, that something else could be done here that makes it better. And then there are those who will say that, look, you know, I'm just doing my job. I'm, you know, sitting here in my corner and mm. doing what I am told. And... Um, Innovation, invention to me means that to not be satisfied with the way things are and to see if there is some way to improve it. That um, we have the imagination to see something that can be improved. We have the knowledge to believe that it is what our idea is a good one. It makes sense. It is sound. It has scientific basis, etc. Yeah. And the conviction, the passion to make it happen, to make it real. That yeah. That is... Uh, Okay. Um, and um, um, do you have like a daily habit um, or like a routine sort of that keeps you more effective and more grounded and you talked about how it's important, you know, to be sort of not taking everything too seriously and having sort of a sense of equanimity? Like um, when, I am, any, uh, when I'm at home, um, I try to uh, every morning take my kids to school. That means a lot to me uh, to make breakfast for them. Um, and relieve my wife because you know I travel so much. Uh, I also try to do breathing every day. My father has taught me this. Um, it is an Indian breathing technique called pranayama, mm. uh, which is a thoughtful, mindful breathing. I unfortunately, my dad is always angry with me that I don't <laughs> do it so long, but I try to do 10, 10, 12 minutes of it every day, and that helps me a lot. I think basically that keeps me alive <laughs> because of the crazy life that I live, uh, that, that 10 minutes of breathing. Uh, this morning I only did 5 minutes and uh, because I was running late for the keynote. And uh, I, um, you know, you feel it that you didn't get enough of that. Uh, it's a very, you can look it up, uh, there are 3 or 4 different techniques to yeah. do deep mindful breathing and it, it helps me a lot. Um, and I, when I'm... Whenever I'm able to, I like to surf. <laughs> okay. Not web surf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actual, I read that on your website. Yeah, yeah. yeah actual, actual surfing. <laughs> and so you mentioned uh, Alan Kay, and like, who are some of your heroes, and like, what are the things you learn from them, and like, how do you draw inspiration from them? Um, you know, my, of course, my my mom and my dad were my heroes. Uh, my brother, my wife, these are people that I really admire uh, because of who they are. The uh, Alan has been a great teacher for me. Uh, I had several um, teachers in my youth, uh, my education. Uh, Marvin Minsky, 
uh, John McCarthy, my PhD advisor, Mike. Um, and uh, I always, uh, I also admired Steve Jobs for his focus and his tenacity, his passion. Um, my heroes, I would say, uh, I had many sports. I was a fan of Joe Montana, who used to play for the San Francisco 49ers. He was my hero. Kapil Dev, a cricketer from India, Steffi Graf. Mm. Um, but my, if I had to use the word heroes, my heroes would probably be scientists. Albert Einstein, Kurt Gödel, uh, you know, people like this. Uh, and so as a CEO, there's so many things you have to do. And, um, you know, you talked a little bit how you keep sort of the equanimity, but how do you prioritize the things and how do you make sure you focus on the, on the right things? There is the conscious way to do it and the unconscious way to do it. The fast thinking and the slow thinking, as yeah. Daniel Kahneman yeah, yeah, talks yeah. about. Uh, the slow thinking way to do it is every uh, every few weeks, every few months, I try to take time out to think in a more deep way. Usually on a long plane flight, um, I try to take our senior team together and uh, think deeply about some of the complex things and from there the priorities come. Um, the slow thinking way to do it is to follow your instinct. This is one of these uh, uh, not very understood kinds of things. This is what I meant about advice yeah, yeah. to the younger Right. Younger self, um, generally if you silence all the noise and listen to your instinct, the instinct will tell you what is important. So if you don't have time that is a, to think, that is a good approach to identifying what is important. <laughs> and how do you follow your intuition? Um, you just know when you know. Okay. It it's is like the, a feeling, It's right? a feeling. There yeah. is no, uh, no other way. Uh, like... Um, uh, in, you know, the movie Matrix, uh, mm -hmm. the Oracle says it to Neo in the Matrix, right? Uh, when you feel it, you, you feel know, it, you know. you know, it is... It's like uh, falling in love. Like falling in love, <laughs> you feel it from balls to bones, she said. <laughs> so in the 21st century, what do you see, what are the possibilities that you see with technology? The, the biggest one is human amplification. We do all these things, um, we have done all these advances, but really where I see that the advances have not yet done a, have had a big role is in helping us become better, being able to see, um, see better. You know, last night um, uh, Al Gore was here and he talked about this, uh, uh, being able to observe complex, large-scale phenomenon like that. It is not in our mind. We don't, our eyes are not trained to see the global climate change happening. Yeah. Our bodies, our minds, our eyes are not trained to see things like diabetes or obesity. We become fat. And then one, of it, one day we realize that, holy shit, when did I become this fat? Mm. You know, I mm. have had this feeling, you know. Mm. And it happens because we are not able to... There is only a wide a, a spectrum of things that we observe. Uh, and unless things are in that spectrum, we tend not to see them. Yet we know that there are, of course, things outside of that spectrum. So... Technology's role as an amplifier of our ability to, to see the stuff that we cannot see uh, is still very, very underserved. And I see that as the big opportunity. Education, learning, personal amplification are, to me, the big areas where we need to see progress in this century. And what do you, what do you think about best practices? Or sort of how do you keep the balance between process and, and substance? My personal view is that a best practice by its nature 
by its very definition, is something that cannot be innovative. Because if it was, it would not be a best practice. Yeah. A best practice is a practice that is not only widely known, it is so widely known that other people can come and tell you which one of these is the best one. You know? Yeah. So how can that be an innovative <laughs> thing? Um, and true innovation in life comes from, you know, Harman Hesse had this uh, wonderful line in his book Siddhartha that uh, uh, knowledge can be communicated, but wisdom cannot be communicated. Wisdom you have to find um, in yourself. Wissen kann man mit Island, Weisheit yeah. aber nicht. <laughs> Very good. Is there any book? You, you still speak German? I still speak German. I have to talk to my uh, f uh, family and my parents occasionally. So, <laughs> you know, I don't have real time language translation yet. So, I do have to rely on my uh, native language sometimes. <laughs> you know. Um, but, but you know what I mean, right? It yeah, is absolutely. difficult to translate in English. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, so, so, since you've become uh, CEO of Infosys, like, what is the most important thing you've learned? Um, it is this idea that uh, to get people to uh, become proactive, to become, to see something that is not there, to be able to change the future, to be able to see that instead of being just somebody that is doing things yeah. you are told, towards becoming somebody who innovates. Like being part of the world and you can influence. You can influence the world. Yeah. That, that has been. How did you learn that? How did I learn that? Yeah. I always, I don't know. I think that... Um, I don't know. My sense is that I, I never felt that I, it wasn't like that. I always felt that, you know, my parents always taught me and my brother that you can change anything. Um, so had that mindset. I actually learned, actually, no, 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 I have to take that back. We grew up in a very open atmosphere, my brother and I. Um, however, culturally, uh, when I first came to Stanford, um, I went to see my, my advisor, Mike, who is here, and I asked him, what do you want me to work on? Mm. And he said, I have no idea. And I, I told him, come on, you have to give me a problem, um, and then I work on it. This is how it's, it works. You must have a list of problems. Mm. He says, no. <laughs> you find your own problem. This is, this is not how it works. He got angry. He said, this is not how it works at all. You find your own problem and we judge that the problem is good enough or not. And then you solve this problem and then we judge if the solution is good enough or not. That is how it works. And if this is not what you had in mind, then this is not the right place. I, I was shocked. I said, my God, I have to find my own problem. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, it put me on a tailspin for three, four months. And uh, uh, John McCarthy, I mentioned this in my keynote this morning. I went to this talk where John McCarthy said at the end that uh, articulating a problem is half the solution. Hmm. And uh, that to me was very interesting that, wow, I never thought that there was such a thing as problem finding or articulation. And then I went to another famous professor, Bob Floyd, and Floyd told me that, I, I said to Floyd that, look, uh, this is what McCarthy has said. And he said, oh, this is not enough. You have to not only understand the problem, you have to solve it, then you have to go back and see if the solution makes you re, rethink the problem. And then you solve that again, until you cannot improve the solution anymore. Hmm. And he told me Floyd's algorithm, which is a very famous contribution that he made um, for like the trucks drive around using Floyd's algorithm, the logistics. Um, it was based on, on this idea. He said it took me seven attempts. Floyd's algorithm was seventh 
iteration like this. And I was thinking, wow, uh, there is such a thing as problem finding and problem solving is a, a part of it. And uh, so the fact that you can look at the world and see something that is not there uh, and say, I want to find there is a missing thing here uh, that, you know, people have done this, this and this, but they have not yet done this. We are not trained to see what is not there. Mm. All the time we are focused on what is there. Uh, and innovators, you know, today we still live in times where innovation is this somewhat mystical thing that there are these innovators and somehow they invent things. But in reality, the act of innovation is the act of seeing something that is not there. Uh, I think that can be trained. People can be taught that. Is that how you think about innovation? Yeah. It's the act of seeing something that is not there, that if it was there in the world, it would make the things better. It, it, there is a, a desirable thing, it is feasible to do, and it is viable economically, and, you know, it is not there. And I think that we can have a million innovators. Why not? And if you, if you sort of would start today, you would, you know, graduate from Stanford, how would you think about your career today with all the changes that have happened since, since you know, you started? I always wanted to travel for one full year. I would, first of all, make sure that I do that. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to go? Where would you like to go? Mm. Anywhere? Around the world. Yeah. No, Africa I haven't been to yet. And what is sort of a book that you would recommend or give to other people to make them a better thinker? Like to think, to help them to think in a more structured way or to think in some ways the way you think? Is there a um, book that inspired you? No, no, no. I, I would not want them to think the way I think. I would want them to find their own path like, like Siddhartha says in Harman Hesse's book. Oh, yeah, Harman Hesse's Siddhartha would be one. Um, there is a fantastic book around systems called Living Systems by, um, by Miller, James Miller. And uh, I don't think that is available anymore. It's a big book. <laughs> um, the, uh, what other book would I recommend? Or, you know, it doesn't have to be a book, anything that um, people could um, learn from. There is a, uh, a very nice book that I used to give to people um, as a gift when they did something amazing. It is called A Simple Science of Flight. Um, it is by a professor from the Netherlands, Hank Tenkes. And I love that book. It is a, a fantastic book about flying. And um, about not only flying, but about how... Part of it is about how the 747 was built and how it is such a beautiful machine um, and, and commercially viable and lived for so long. So those are three books that come to my mind right now. <laughs> and, and how did you find your purpose within technology? Was it a process and was it something you felt over time or something you did? No, again, it is, it is following your instinct, following your, your passion, something that you just feel like it appeals to you. So mm -hmm. I think that uh, getting people to inspired to the point where they see that they can affect the world around them, they can improve the world around them. Uh, that is a powerful notion. And you, like a man with a great vision, like how do you think, um, you know, when there's so many short-term pressures on your company, how do you make sure that you really not only think about the long-term, but also build sort of a road where the long-term gets um, prioritized and not forgotten? Um, Fortunately for me, it is the other way around. 
for me, the long term is always more important. So it is impossible for me to not prioritize the long term. Mm-hmm. What ends up happening is that in my life, managing, you know, running the quarters and 90-day cycles and so on, um, there is too much focus on the operational 90-day rhythm and so on. Um, but because my mindset is fundamentally geared around the long term, I whenever I am desperate, I, I think about things that are in the longer term. So you try to make time for it. And then how do you is, build that vision? It is not easy, it's not uh, easy. but it is... Uh, what are you most proud of in life and, you know, for all the things you've done? Um, I'm, I think I'm yet to do the thing that I would really be proud of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, of course, I'm proud of many things that I have done. My PhD thesis, my children, uh, my family. The, uh, uh, but uh, I think the friendships and the personal loyalties uh, are, are things to be proud of. But the big thing is yet to be done. <laughs> okay. And can I ask you one? Yeah. What value, like, you know, if all your work, all your principles, if you had to come up with one word that sort of embodies your spirit and your values, um, is there anything, is it innovation or like, is there, do you have sort of one way to encapsulate sort of, you know, your, your work and your thing? Um, um, being humble and being open to ideas, always being open to new ideas. Um, having an open mind okay. uh, and uh, uh, always believing that we can we can make our own future, we can change the world, but always being humble that we are a very small piece in the grand scheme of things. You know, having that duality yeah. is always a good idea. Yeah. Thank you for listening and see you next time.